Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Ahí está el córner. Gol Gabriel Paulista. Marca el primero para el Arsenal. El córner que sacó Mesut Ozil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. Um, how's it going? Yeah, it's goodly. It's goodly enough over here. It's not too bad. We had snow this weekend. That was exciting. Yeah? Yes. Basically, winter's tricked us all, so December was disarmingly mild. Now January's absolutely freezing. Yeah. I'm shivering here. If only I would wear clothes for the recording, then <laughs> I'd be significantly more warm. Close your windows. That would be another good thing to that do rather than, you know, one. let it all hang out, as they say. But then know? how would I get the bird on the show if well, I close the windows? That's very true. That's very uh, true. How about yourself? It's going all right, fairly quiet weekend, all things considered. You know, it's January, it's cold. It's cold here too. We didn't have any snow though. Although the mountains have some snow on them. Not down oh, yeah. here in, you know, the uh, conurbations. We don't the have lowlands. any. Yeah, we got no snow, but it is cold. And I don't like cold. I'm very, mu- I'm very much opposed to cold, oh. I have to say. Unusual. That's kind of your thing, isn't it? You just kind of... Everyone loves it, the cold, and except you, you're standing out there on your own. I, I don't think everyone loves the cold at all. I think that's a completely outrageous statement to make. And it was. Yeah. You know. It was. It was being cold as shit. Who likes the cold? Hands up. Right, see? Yeah. Nobody. Proven. Point proven. Yeah. Point proven. Um, but yeah. But in general it's been it's been pretty quiet. No no scandals, no nothing really this weekend. So, you know, we'll have to concentrate on the football. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Two games since we spoke. Yeah, that's one, right. Mm. One over the weekend, though, the big one. The big one. <laughs> the big one. <laughs> uh, it, it, does, it feels kind of, I, I know it's a ridiculous thing to say, it kind of feels like a big one in the sense that I hate Stoke and their fans so much that I really, really get invested in this game and I really want us to win and I'm kind of scared of not winning because it's it would be shit, you know. So Stoke traditionally obviously aren't one of the big clubs. They're not a Manchester United, a Liverpool, a Tottenham. Well, I'm not saying Tottenham are a big club, but obviously they're a rival uh, because, uh, you know, uh, geography and what have you. And there's this mm. tradition there. But with Stoke... And not even Stoke at home, because we always beat them at home. Like eight mm. times uh, in a row, we've beaten them at home, scoring 19 goals and conceding just three. But away from home, there's this thing that has been there since the Aaron Ramsey leg snap incident. And it, it, it has become kind of a, a big game and a big deal and uh, a game that I, I really wanted us to win yesterday. But um, we can maybe touch on, on, the, uh, on the result and everything else um, in, a, in a few moments. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's kind of... I suppose the most comparable game is something like Spurs. It feels a bit like a derby, doesn't mm. it, when you go to Stoke? I mean, it's not like a top-of-the-table clash, but it's one that you can't bear to lose mm. and one that you feel one that you feel has ramifications. You know, a win there would be massive, a defeat would launch us into, you know, another barracking at a train station. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but we came away with a draw. So mm. sort of an odd feeling of... Neither, really. A bit of neutrality, I guess. Yeah, there were no ramifications at all to this hey. particular one. <laughs> right. Well, okay, well, let's let's look at the game itself. I mean, do we have to? Um, it wasn't much fun, was it? I mean, it wasn't one of the, the most 
enjoyable games of the season in terms of the quality of the football. I suppose in in uh, in the cold light of day, you've got to duff your cap to both goalkeepers, um, who were probably the outstanding players on each team. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so, and that there was a, an absence of quality. You know, Stoke this season have gained a reputation for playing significantly more attractive football than they did certainly under Tony Pulis but one almost felt that they were they were going retro weren't they against Arsenal mm. there was a, a willingness to sort of um, mix it up it. a bit yeah but I mean yeah. isn't isn't that sort of thing we're saying they, they, they play nicer football now than they did under Tony Pulis isn't that sort of like saying a murderer who coldly dispatches his victim with a shot to the head is a better murderer than one who tortured them and, you know, bashed them and cut them up and flayed them for for hours at a time. I guess so. I guess so. Could be stretching that a little bit, but, you know. Yeah, and those are kind of the crimes I imagine Mark Hughes and Tony Pulis might commit. (laughs) (laughs) Relevantly. But, um, yeah, I guess so. And it wasn't pretty, but I think we have to take our part in that. It wasn't pretty from Arsenal either. No. No. because we didn't have our midfield, maybe, is a big part of that. You know, our first-choice midfield trio were all absent, crucially Meza Ozil, um, which is a bit of a surprise that he wasn't there. Mm. And uh, I do think that affected us. But you're right, the keepers both made a number of good saves, and we probably owe we owe the fact that we got a point in large part to Petacek, who made several really good ones. I thought the double save in particular was excellent. Yeah, I was watching um, the... Replays of that, I'd sort of downloaded the game and it has the Spanish commentary and the commentator, they're like, oh, what a save by Petr Cech, blah, blah, blah. And then the co-commentator, when they're showing the replay of it, he says, um, basically, those those are the saves that win you points in games. Mm. And very true. There was that one. There was another one, uh, of course, laid on with his foot after Ramsey had cleared off the line. And yeah. another good save. I think that a, uh, a shot was deflected. One of those that, you know, uh, a slightly bigger deflection would have left him stranded. But, you know, he made good saves. And I think uh, as much as anything else, um, you know, we didn't have a goalkeeper who was in any way flustered by what Stoke did. You know, their set-piece delivery was pretty good. They put lots of crosses in. Uh, you know, Czech was big and strong, calm and assured. His kicking, every single kick that he made was was a good kick. You know, there were no rush clearances, no, no sort of clearance that went straight out into play or dribbled along the ground, you know, which kind of helps the opposition garner some momentum and gets the crowd... Up and up and going even more than they they already were. So I think beyond the saves as well, just the experience he has and the way that he dealt with the the atmosphere was really important. Unflappable, wasn't mm. it? Unlike some of our flappier goalkeepers yes. in the past. Some of them have terrible flaps. <laughs> um, no, I thought he was really good actually, and I thought some of the defenders acquitted themselves pretty well. Nacho Monreal, I yep. thought, um, under a bit of a an aerial bombardment at times, coped extremely well. Mertesack had some good moments. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're right about the value of Czech. I think it's as much about his presence as it is about what he actually does. But even saying that on that double save, I was a little bit surprised, pleasantly surprised by just quite how quickly he sprung up for that second one. Mm. You know, he's a big guy. He's and he's heading towards his mid thirties, and yet there was no sign at all of any slouching there. When he made that first save, sprung up to his feet uh, and, and got there for the second one too. Mm. And I thought that was a I was watching it on the English commentary on Sky and they sort of implied that second save was relatively routine, but I thought there was a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I agree, I agree. The way that he anticipated where the shot was going, you know, yeah. that's all down to his uh, to his great experience. So, yeah, 
Fantastic stuff. So he did well. Mm. But uh, going forward, it didn't really work. I mean, I was saying that, I, I did feel like we did create a very, very good chance in the first half for Olivier Giroud. And I, for one, thought he should have scored that. Do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. That was I, my opinion. I, it was it, Button did well. He's very quick off his line, but just looking at the replay, I sort of feel like he curled it sort of into his body rather than outside his mm, body. Yeah, maybe so. I think there was an issue with the ball bobbling for a start. Right. Um, if you look at it, it sort of bobbles up as he hits it. You know, if you look at if you look at the way the keeper came out, the way to finish that one probably would have been you know with a with a with a low shot. Uh, rather than one in into the keeper's midriff, uh, and yeah. I get that, but I think the more I look at it, the more I think it was a great piece of goalkeeping. You know, the the way he anticipated the ball, he anticipated where Giroud might put his shot. He came out, smothered it. I thought it was more of a good save than a bad miss. Okay, interesting. Mm. I mean, I think I'm just thinking about it now, and I'm trying to think if I can remember a lot of goals Giroud scored from that position. You know, I think it's not it's not a trademark Giroud moment to me, you know, mm. to go through on that side and bend it in the far corner. That's a good he point, actually, it. yeah. But it's not something I first, you know, remember happening too regularly, whereas if someone like Walcott on the opposite side, for example, is, you know, you'd expect him to, to tuck that one away far side. But, mm. um, yeah, I thought, I, I thought he should have scored a great pass from Campbell, though. He had a couple of good moments like that yeah. in the first half. Yeah, he really did. And uh, what about the second one, the one that was saved in the in the second half, the one from the, the header. Yeah. I thought that was, a, I mean, a good header. You know, I think he did everything right on that one because um, he got it down low, got it towards the corner. Mm. Uh, good save. I mean, I think Butland's a really promising keeper. Every time I see him this season, he, he impresses me. Mm. He seems um, seems like he's got real potential, all right, and seems like a nice guy as well. Uh, interviewed after the game, seemed like a, a very level-headed young man. Um, so, you know, you've got to hope and that he, he doesn't get... Yeah, you got to hope he doesn't get, you know, infected too much by Stoke. But, you know, I, I would hope that this is a player that, that Arsenal would have their, their eye on, certainly their scouts looking at, um, you know, in, in the next couple of years. Because we have to remember, it is only his first year of, of Premier League football. So, um, you know, there's a way to go for him. Yeah, but yeah, very promising young player, uh, Butland. So, um Right, so he he's made two good saves. Czech has made good saves, mm-hmm. and you reference the fact that that Mesedoza was missing. So it's sort of incumbent on some of the other players to uh, to fill that gap. Joel Campbell, I think, did uh, as much as you could expect him to do. That that pass for Giroud uh, for the first save was was absolutely fantastic. Had a chance himself that he curled over. Should probably have hit the target there. Yeah, well, the one later on when yeah. he was cutting inside. Yeah, I think he could have done better there, but there were. A couple of other decent passes as well. I seem to remember one through to Walcott that mm-hmm. didn't quite go into his stride. And <laughs> I do think it's, uh, I think it's sort of surprising, in a, in a good way, quite how good his his passing is. It, it's you know he's got the vision, but he's also able to execute it. I saw on Twitter someone was comparing him to Alex Song. You know that propensity for those three balls, and I thought, yeah, that's good, but. He's in a position where you actually want him to be doing that. He's an attacking <laughs> player, um, so long may it continue. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was. I thought he was very good again. And uh, to my mind, let's say if we've got Alexis and if we've got uh, Ozil back next weekend against Chelsea, he stays in the team at the expense of you know uh, more senior players. Uh, Theo Walcott, for example, again didn't have a really good game. No, not at all. I mean, what did you... He, he didn't look happy at all when he came off. He was well, that, doing it the old <laughs> confused face, wasn't he? What, me? Hang on. Yeah. How could you take me off? I've done things in this game. <laughs> look at all the things I've done. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, how could I they mean, take Theo Walcott off? 
what do you attribute his performance to? I mean, I think actually, if you look at a broader context, I think actually since he's come back from injury, he's sort of struggled. He had that great moment against Man City, lashed in that goal from the edge of the box. But I don't. I think generally he's not been the threat he was when he was playing through the middle earlier in the season. Is it as simple as being? in a different position or is something else going to arrive for him? Or I think we're seeing why Arsene Wenger doesn't really want to play him as a wide player anymore because yeah. the the limitations in his game are are obvious. People have seen them ever since he's joined the club. You know that his, his control can be off sometimes. When he runs with the ball, he can overrun it. Um, you know, he's too easily knocked off the ball by defenders often from from decent positions where he should do more with it you know so i think those those limitations that have been in his game since he's uh, since he joined at 16 haven't really worked themselves out uh, the qualities that he has and the ability that he has to score goals and to to do uh, some fantastic things generally come when he's put through the middle or playing through the middle mm. i think um i just i it feels like the games pass him by a lot when he's out on on the flanks either left or right um you know i i agree with you since he's come back from injury he's been he's been quite poor apart from that manchester city goal he's a senior player he's 26 years of age you know you're looking for a guy like him to step up when you have uh, those important players missing you know this is a guy that you really want to to get involved and i don't think he's that kind of player you know i don't think he's the kind of player who can really who can really take charge of a game in any significant way so i think what we're seeing is why arsen wenger doesn't play him wide unless he has to and at the moment he has to the the reaction to to his number coming up to be i think maybe he was a little put out that it was somebody like alex uwobi coming off you know yeah. um who i mean who looked- I, I wondered if um that was almost making a point, you know, to bring on a, such an inexperienced player for Walcott. I wonder quite how disgruntled with his performance Arsene Wenger was. Mm. S- saying that, I thought it would be looked pretty lively when he came on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Some nice touches. It looked positive. Um, you know, wor- worked hard. You know, I, I don't know. I, we've spoken about Walcott a lot on this podcast down the years. He remains, to my mind, a hugely confusing man. I don't... I don't understand really I don't understand him or it or the whole Theo Walcott thing at all you know I accept the fact that he's a guy who can get you goals um, and sometimes really really brilliant goals and you see him against Manchester United when he was excellent yeah Um, but I I wonder you know if those performances are, are more the exception rather than the rule you know potentially it seems it of late I mean I I'd be very curious to see what happens when Alexis comes back and see if Arsene goes back to using Theo through the middle. You know, back in the autumn, it looked as if that that was kind of a new, exciting shape for this Arsenal attack with Walcott as its spearhead. And now, you know, removing Giroud seems extremely unlikely. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Mm. Um, Because I don't, I I don't, do you know what? I don't even necessarily think it's about work rate, which I think has been an accusation levelled him in the past. I think when you look at his... His positioning on the field since he's been playing wide, he has got back and protected his fullback more than we've seen from him sure. previously. I just think that he doesn't fully understand the position that well. And there are times yesterday, I thought his last 10 minutes on the pitch, I mean, if you were looking at it, you didn't know where he was supposed to be playing, you wouldn't have a clue because mm. he was drifting in field so much, almost playing as a second centre forward. And I don't know, I don't know if that had anything to do with why he was subbed off, but it wasn't a good performance from him. I mean, the other guy who 
might be looking to get into the side where Joel Campbell is at the moment and is, is going to be struggling, I think, is probably Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who yeah. played in central midfield yesterday and had a strange game, I thought, because, you know, I thought he tried to get on the ball, he tried to make things happen, and actually... I don't think he hid. I think, you know, he, he looked for things to come off, but his his passing felt particularly poor to me and his decision-making was that of a guy, you know, lacking in confidence at the moment. Yeah, he's certainly lacking in confidence. There's no question about that. And I agree with you that he did try and make things happen. And interesting to see the manager, you know, say that they played a 4-3-3 rather mm. than the uh, the 4-2-3-1 uh, that they, they normally play to put Oxlade-Chamberlain in there. You know, passing-wise, he was 39 out of 50, so that's 11 passes that went astray. Um, I'm just trying to... I'm just going to have a quick look at here and see pretty much, yeah, some bad some bad passes, in fairness. A couple of them that went straight out for throws, misjudging the uh, the run of a, of a teammate. You know, he is struggling. He's really struggling for form. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't really know... What else the manager could have done yesterday other than sort of play Arteta? Could he have played El Nenny from the start? I, well, I think he was obviously cautious about doing that. And um, yeah, I think that showed because there were, there were, I thought maybe after about 70 minutes that he might look to throw El Nenny on. Ahead yeah. of Walcott, because it, I mean, it was it was a physical game and it was a fairly intense game, but I don't think it was some of the real blood and thunder kind of stuff that you get at Stoke. You know, it was relatively low level compared to some of the games in the past. So I didn't quite understand it. You know, if it was cautious about throwing him on in those circumstances, you know, I, I thought he probably would have been able to cope, given he's a professional footballer and, and everything else. But um, yeah, look, he, I don't know what to do about Oxley Chamberlain. I, I think it's probably a case that w- w- he needs a bit more time, you know? Uh, he is only 22. Is he still 22? Or is he 23 now? I think now? so. I think so. I'll just I think his I'll birthday's at the end of a season. Right. He's one, one of those helpful players who changes age every season. You don't have to worry about it in between. Yeah, August the 15th. So he's still yeah. only 22. Um, he hasn't developed the way that we would have liked this season. Uh, and it, it's not as if he hasn't had chances, but... I don't know. I guess it's just trying to find, uh, for him, something that might spark him into life. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I think, you know, the the deficiencies in his game are going to be amplified when he's played in a central role. You know, at at the moment in the wide areas, he's struggling, but put him in the middle and where he's expected to be a playmaker, Mm. essentially. And I think it will... It'll fall down more obviously, Mm. hence those those kind of low passing stats that you referenced. Yeah. the on anything was interesting. I've sort of been ruminating on that for the last twenty four hours, and I, I hope, I hope we've bought a player of the requisite quality to start games for us because I know it was his first weekend in England, and I'm sure that was a factor in Arsene's decision. But looking at the midfield options we have, um, I hope we've brought in someone who's more than a body because I, I don't think it should be that hard. I, I think basically there is an upgrade available on what we're having to play at the moment and I hope he can be it Mm. Um, I've got this slightly worrying feeling that what we've done is replaced Mathieu Flamini um, when with a sort of similar calibre player when what we needed was to sort of bring in someone who was more of a, a specialist or more someone who could you know compete directly with Cochrane Are you not being just a big worry wart there James I mean you know yeah, I am. I am. I am. I am worried. 
I am worried, but we'll see. We'll, well see. Why, I mean, why, what makes you? What makes you think that? What makes me think that is. Well, I suppose what I think, what I hoped, is that we do what we didn't do in the summer, which is to bring in not Schneiderlin, but a Schneidlin-ish player. You know, someone who was going to be pretend, really close to Cochrane in terms of what they offered, so that we'd have that security in his absence. Mm. Um, and now I sort of feel, listen to Arsenal talk at the press conference the other day, I kind of feel like we've brought in quite a general midfielder. You know, it slightly troubles me when Arsenal says things like, I don't know if he's going to be a holding midfielder or a box-to-box player yet. I need to see more of him. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I want to see a holding player. Can he be a holding player? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sort of. But I mean, I think what he was saying was that he is capable of being uh, a more deep-lying midfielder, but also because of his... Uh, I think one of the things that people talked about was this physical stamina that he has. He's uh, He's got mm. a... As uh, I think Amy was saying on the, the Arsecast on Friday, he's got a, a great engine. Um, but I think what the manager will do is look at him in close quarters. You know, obviously they've scouted him and obviously they know what his qualities are. They know what he's capable of on the football pitch in terms of, um, you know, his positioning, his reading of the game, his distribution, all those things I'm sure they'll be fully aware of. Uh, I, I just think that he will want to assess him a bit more in person just to maybe reinforce what he's what he's actually thinking about the player. My feeling on this is that this is a guy we were going to sign in the summer. Yeah. And it's been brought forward because simply simply because we have to because of the injuries that we've got in midfield at this moment in time. So he might be a guy who um was somebody who could help fill the gap of Arteta leaving and Flamini leaving and Rosicky leaving. You know, mm-hmm. I think we're probably going to be in the market for another midfielder come the summer. Um, but no, I don't think that he is necessarily a specific holding midfield player. I just wonder if he might be a guy in the manager's mind who can partner Ramsey, for example, in a more effective way than Flamini has. And I, you know, I, I think Flamini has done okay, really, since he's come back yeah. into the team. I have to say, you know, he hasn't, he's not going to be everybody's favorite player. I don't think he's the best player in the world, but I think he's done a, a decent, hardworking job uh, alongside a partner that doesn't really suit him. And I think Ramsey is playing alongside somebody that doesn't suit him either, you know? So again, this slightly dysfunctional central midfield partnership has done pretty okay all in all. Uh, and maybe just adding somebody like El Nenny, who's got different qualities to both of them, who might complement or or augment them, I think that's where we might be going with this guy. I hope so, because, you know, when I look at the two games we played this week, Liverpool away and Stoke away, it's not even necessarily, as you say, a criticism of the individuals. I don't. I wouldn't argue that Ramsey or Flamini have played particularly badly. Yeah. But I just feel like that central midfielded area hasn't quite worked. And I know we've got away with it to an extent over the last 10 games or so. But um, I feel like, you know, we could improve there. So hopefully, hopefully Elneny can, can help do that. I mean, it's early days, obviously. And I'd be surprised if he was to come into the side uh, for a home match with Chelsea. But you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting. Obviously, it'll depend on what he does this week in training and how the manager views everything uh, in training, whether or not he's ready to start and who else he has back in the side. Because if you're looking uh, for the Chelsea game, you're looking at, at Ozil coming back and Alexis coming back. Yeah. You know, I th- Let me just ask you this. Um, how much do you think yesterday's decision to leave Mesut Ozil uh, at home was down to injury as opposed to 
just sort of looking at the Stoke fixture as one that might not suit him and also as a chance to give him a bit of a rest ahead of Chelsea? I mean, it did sound like a relatively small injury, the, the type that I envisage Premier League players being able to play through with, the re- with you know, the right treatment. Um, so I, I do wonder if there was a sense of, well, he's hurt, but he also must be fatigued as well. He's barely had a break over Christmas. This is a chance... Uh, to literally allow him to put his feet up if, mm. he, if you saw his Instagram or whatever it was yeah. of him in front of the, the telly. I think that was probably probably a factor, yeah. Would, yeah. would you say so? Yeah, I would have thought so, yeah. I think it was as much to do with this being a game that didn't suit him uh, ahead of one that we really need him to perform well in. You know, if he was, he has been carrying a bit of an injury, apparently, a bit of a foot injury. Um, mm. So I think, you know, it was a chance for the manager just to, to give him a bit of a rest and to rely on some of the other players in the squad to get the result that we, you know, we needed to get. So looking at this week, uh, all in all, Liverpool and then Stoke, mm. uh, let me ask you this. So we're still top of the table. Yeah. If I said to you, you could keep your two draws and your two points, uh-huh. or you could swap it for one win and one defeat so you'd get three <laughs> points but you'd have the sort of morale sapping loss and the loss of momentum what yeah. would you what would be a better week in your mind yeah well that's that's a really d- it? yeah it's a tough question because on paper obviously you want uh you want uh, the the most points you can get um, yeah, yeah. But again, you, you reference. But let's say we'd lost at Stoke yesterday. Yeah, of course. Happened. And then you lose at Stoke, and all of a sudden there's this all this uh, narrative, dare we say, about how Arsenal, you know, can't cope with Stoke and mental fragility and all those kind of things. Yeah. So yeah, look, I wasn't particularly unhappy with the the draw at Stoke. I didn't think that was a bad result. I mm. think what maybe was frustrating about it was the fact that we dropped the points. Uh, at Anfield. To me, that was a much bigger frustration. That last-minute goal that we conceded uh, at Anfield was a far bigger frustration than going to Stoke, where we know the atmosphere is hostile, where we know the opposition is going to be really difficult and physical, uh, where perhaps the referee won't be as strong as he should be. And when you go there without Ozil, without Alexis, without Cazorla, without Coquelin, without Welbeck, without Wilshire, without Rosicki, in, the, in, in that context, I think a point at Stoke yesterday was was all right. It was the the fact that we we blew two points at Anfield on Wednesday. That for me was the big frustration. Yeah. Well, I, I would agree with you. It's a really fascinating period coming up. We've got, I think, three of the next four league games are at home uh, against some big teams against Chelsea and Leicester, mm. uh, Southampton in there as well. Um. So yeah, I mean, I guess we've got to really kick on now. I mean, mm. I feel like we've sort of we've done enough to stay ahead. Yeah. Uh, I have this sort of sneaky suspicion, you know, the the worry weasel or whatever you call me, that uh, <laughs> that maybe we ought to have done a bit more. But um, if we win these home games, then we should be in a strong position come the end of February. Sure, sure. I think as well you have to put in the con- uh, the the Stoke game in the context of playing two really difficult games away from home in four days. Of course, you know, very very uh, uh, physically demanding with a small squad. Yeah. Um, so so again, you know. That make no once it makes it all right, but I can understand, or I'm happy enough with the point at Stoke in, in those circumstances. So yeah, so look uh, before we move on very quickly, uh, Matthew Debushi, um, not in the squad yesterday, was quite uh-huh. vocal talking to Lekeep 
about uh, his unhappiness at Arsenal. He said, uh, well, I'm just going to get it up here. I'm going to get the uh, Debussy story up here, I should say. Um, he says, I can't stay at Arsenal. He's quite critical of Arsene Wenger as well. Um, he says, uh, whatever happens, I want to leave even on loan. I can't stay. Uh, he's talking about Aston Villa, and then he's going, well, they could be relegated, so I don't know if I want to go there. I'm taking some time. Well, what do you make of... Um, Clearly, this is a guy who has prioritized playing at Euro 2016 over being part of a squad of players that is challenging for the Premier League title. I mean, how, does that make any sense to you? Um, I think it's disappointing. It's definitely disappointing as a fan. I can understand it. I can understand it. I think his international ambitions are obviously very you know, dear to his heart. And I think he's probably extremely... I think he's probably a bit gutted about how it's worked out for him at Arsenal. You know, he came in as first choice right back and he lost that place. He'll, in his eyes, do almost exclusively to injury a bit of misfortune. And I think... I suppose what's frustrating is that he he hasn't put his head down and fought for it. And when chances have come up, he hasn't really performed mm. in the manner that you'd expect. I think it's certainly for the best that he, he goes now. I can't really see... You know, I know people worry about weakening the squad, but if someone's that disgruntled, I can't really see the value in keeping them around. Yeah. You know, if someone with that attitude and who feels that way about the club and the manager, would you want to pick them to play in an important game? I'd certainly have second thoughts. Oh yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a, I think there's a real element of getting not the, I don't necessarily want to call him a bad apple, but it's clear that he doesn't want to be there, and that will have an impact on on the the togetherness of a squad that has to be has to be really consolidated if they're going to win the Premier League title. I mean, he says um, uh, to Lekeep, my last match was less than two months ago. I don't know what kind of condition I'm in. In my position, you need to defend. If I was to start tomorrow, I don't even know if I could last the whole match. I mean, what? I mean, that's just a bizarre thing uh, for me to say. Like, I know that players need to play regularly, and I know that they need to find rhythm and all that kind of stuff to play their best football. But the idea that you would say, well, if you pick me tomorrow, I don't even know if I could last 90 minutes. You're a professional fucking footballer. And I've got a lot of sympathy for him for the way that the injuries racked up, particularly the one against Stoke, the Arnautovic one, having just come back into the side. And that yeah. was the one that really opened the door for, for Bellerin. But I think if we're going to, if we've got to give Bellerin credit uh, for the way that he's taken his chance and, and made that position his own, I think Debussy has probably made it a bit easy for him. I think he has. I think he has. And I wonder sort of how long ago this switch sort of flicked in his head because. You know, his performances this season haven't been great. Mm. But I think when you look at the back four, you know, Arsene's chosen to play with a pretty consistent back four this season. He's kept it the same, doesn't want to rotate it too much. And that's affected a lot of other players. That's affected the likes of Kieran Gibbs, who's barely got a game in his preferred position. You know, even Gabriel might have expected to get more football than he has. Um, but, you know, when they have been called upon, you can't really fault their attitude. Mm. And certainly publicly, they've never made any issue of it. And that's what you want to see from squad players or players who are not in the first team at present. Yeah. Um, Debussy's made it a sort of impossible situation. And, and, in, and rea in reality, we haven't had too many players kicking off like that, you know, over the last few years. Um, it's a shame that it's, it's come to that. But... Uh, I wish him all the best at Aston Villa if he goes there. I mean, <laughs> they're absolutely screwed, aren't they? Yeah, so, they're fucked. Absolutely, 100% um, fucked. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I mean, I don't want to be cruel, but, you know, if that's the calibre of 
of team looking at you, then what does that say about the way you have performed when you've played this season? You know, yeah. um, there's, there doesn't seem to be too many European giants knocking on the door, and I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure that playing for Aston Villa in a side that are careering towards relegation is necessarily going to get you a call up into the France international squad. So, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But mm. I think uh, the writing's very much on the wall for Debussy now. Yeah. Pick me for France, for I am keeping Alan Hutton out of the Aston Villa side. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two. All right, welcome back to part two of the Arsecast Extra. This is where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at Arsblog and at Gunnerblog. Uh, James, just before we go on with this, I just want to, uh, you know, uh, give a shout out here to uh, the great people at the Sport Bible. They're great. They're fantastic uh, yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Great they guys. ran. They ran a story. Um, Michael Owen's famous quotes. No, <laughs> really, he has actually said these. They say, right. generating. Uh, 1,915,481 views of a video on Facebook uh, with uh, 38,756 people liking it and 11,848 shares. The issue, of course, is that Michael Owen didn't actually say those things and they were made up by me over on Arsblog News in a story called The Wisdom of Michael Owen. So I I just want to say congratulations to the Sports Bible for some top-class thievery there and it just reinforces forces my belief that nobody should ever, ever visit uh, a website with the word Bible in the name. Like Lab Bible, Sport Bible, whatever else. The Bible Bible. They probably yeah. like they probably steal stuff from other Bibles to put in that. Probably, mate. Yeah. That's probably how it's put together. I yeah. mean, that is brilliant. I mean, you know, obviously awful that they stole it, but kind of brilliant that they've publicised it so massively and now look like fools yeah. for, for believing it in the first place. Yes, true. Although I can forgive people for thinking Michael Owen would say just about anything. Yeah, that's true. But also, fuck them. Yes, yeah. fuck them. Yeah. I would agree with you there. We agree. What a surprise. Uh, as Shall we? Yeah. yeah <laughs> Shall sorry. we have a question? Yeah, well, I was going to say, seeing as we're talking about absolute fucking fuckwits, okay. why, why, don't we, uh, why don't we start with this one, which comes from uh, Kyle Connolly, at Kyle Connolly 19 and he said... Should Aaron Ramsey apologise to Shawcross and Stoke FC fans for putting his leg in the way of that tackle? I think it's about time, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's about fucking, time he did. That, that fucking Ramsey. I mean, he's just such a wind-up merchant. What annoys me is not only did he put his leg in the way, he had the temerity to heal that broken leg. <laughs> and he, come back. Know, he, he put it straight, he got it put in a cast, and he walks around playing football instead of you know being in a wheelchair where the rest of the Stoke fans would like to see him. Mm. I, uh, yeah, they, oh God, that was an extraordinary chant, wasn't it? He, he walks with a limp. I mean, yeah. well, I suppose the one comfort is that he doesn't, you know, and it is a victory of sorts that he's out there playing football to a much higher level than almost every Stoke player. Mm. Um, but I, Arsene, I think, said after the game, perhaps when they watch it back on the television, they won't feel so proud. I can only assume that is the case, you know, 
surely no one's going home from that thinking that was good, wasn't it, when we mocked him about that quite serious injury he sustained. I really hope not. I've kind of got a bit more faith in humanity than that, although maybe humanity's not the correct term for Stoke fans. Me me on telly box, me not proud. That's it. Well, you'll you'll say anything when you're hidden behind a cardboard mask of Arsene Wenger. That's bizarre as well. Why do they wear Arsene Wenger masks? I don't don't get it. I don't get it either. It's like, why would you not wear... um, Oh, is it because they do the impression of Arsene Wenger? You know, the sort of Gary Lineker... Arms in the air, waving. Was that the Stoke fans who used to yeah, do that? Yeah, I think it was. Him? But I mean, why? <laughs> if you hate somebody, like, would you go and wear a John Terry mask? No, no, no. I did talk on the show about when David Moyes was really struggling at Manchester United. I wanted everyone at the Emirates Stadium to come in an Alex Ferguson mask just to freak him <laughs> out. Um, but uh, I would not, you know, gladly wear one. I mean, it would be an uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Strange, strange relationship they have with him. It really is. Look, I mean, the thing about the chant is, um, you, you know, it's part and parcel of the game to to sort of uh, have your villains. And it's all a bit of pantomime, ultimately, isn't it? You know, it's all pantomime villains and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, having those players or those people or those characters in the game who are worthy of some, uh, I, I hate the word banter, of course, but, you know, just you can pay a bit of attention to them and, you know, they become they become this pantomime villain character in it. Villain? Villain. Yeah. Villain. Okay, Villain. Villain. Yeah, Villain, Villain is, uh, is a football club, isn't it, in, in Holland? Yes, it's a... Villain Tway. Indeed. Uh, but, you know, Ramsey, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's not out there parking in handicapped spaces. You know, he's not doing airplane impressions of 9-11 and things like that. He's not one of those guys. He's a good guy who was a 19, 19-year-old who had his leg snapped in two, and it could have really, really affected his career. I think people forget that to an extent. You look at the way the, the bad injuries affected Diaby, the way it mm-hmm. affected Eduardo, and Ramsey you know, has, has come through it uh, with aplomb. So I don't quite understand why, why they make him um, uh, the, the, the butt of this kind of this kind of thing. But hey, there you go. Just to be clear and try and get to the bottom of it, I don't think there is any justification, but is there justification that he didn't, he was frosty about Ryan Shawcross's apology? Is that is that where their hatred of him stems from? I or? think that's part of it, all right. Yeah, that, right. that Shawcross sent him a text message and Ramsey, you know, didn't bother replying in the first week after he was injured or something like that, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. No, I'm just in here in in searing pain with my leg snapped in two, worried about my football career. Pardon me if I don't fucking reply to your text message, you know. It's uh, Yeah, it's bizarre. Bizarre Mm. and surreal. And and do you think... I mean, I had a question here. Who is it from? Let's have a look. It was from um, Damon at Techie Day Moon. And he was essentially asking, is is this the sort of behaviour that... The, should cause the FA to take action? Should they be clamping down on, on no. charts of that nature? No. No, I don't think so. I don't think it's, you know, the FA, there's any grounds for them to do anything about it. Uh, mm. Certainly not in terms of, of punishing Stoke, um, you know, in, like points or discipline or anything like that. Absolutely not. No question. Um, but I, I do think it's, um, I do think it's something that ought to be highlighted. 
You know, you you can you can yeah. you can say something and it can be offensive and uh, terrible. It's not worthy of great punishment. But you know, you can't necessarily expect to say those things and not have people call you on them. You just can't expect people in this day and age not to judge you based on what you say and what you do. I think so, and I think I mean the reality is, I mean, there's an absence of wit and an absence of charm in it as well. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It doesn't mm. even. It's not even clever. It doesn't even sound like a a, a joke. It's just cruel. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's good to highlight it because I, you know, if I was one of those Stoke fans chanting it yesterday, I don't think I'd feel too great about it. Saying that, when I tweeted it yesterday, there were fans of other clubs uh, replying, you know, saying "ha ha ha, that's great" sort of thing. So I don't know. I guess there's dickheads everywhere, aren't there? There are. They're all over the fucking place. A lot of them in Stoke, though. High concentration. Mm. Yes, it seems to be. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> when there's a match. Yeah, that's it. Mine's against them. Um, let's have another question. Okay, this is from at Fit Dog. Uh, okay. And he asks, arm wrestling tournament. Who on Arsenal would be the best and worst choice? <sighs> Who would be the best choice for an arm wrestling? Um, I suspect... Check. Okay. Would be really good okay. because, you know, he's a big man. He's obviously got great upper body strength. Uh, he would have big hands as well. Strong hands from from all the, the goalkeeping training. Um, I'm not an experienced arm wrestler, but is, is size a big factor then? So someone who's sort of very uh, muscular but smaller, are they going to struggle against someone? I, I don't really know. But look, let's imagine for a second that you put a small person up against a really big person in an arm wrestling contest. Yeah, all right. For example, Santi Cazorla against... Jack. Jack. Or, or, or that guy in Game of Thrones who squashed that guy's head. Remember yeah, that yeah, guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that guy. So Santi Cazorla against him... I suspect the big guy's going to win. Okay. So my uh, just my general feeling on it is that the bigger the guy, the the stronger he's going to be. And so Czech you are is six an foot. Yeah, well, maybe so. <laughs> so yeah, check the best and the worst Theo Walcott because he's quite oh, slight, you know. And great that's not, shout. That's not really like a, a being mean to Theo thing. I just think in terms of because Theo's got bad shoulders as well because a lot of that arm wrestling stuff has got to come from the shoulder, and we know that Theo his shoulders pop out all the time. But come on as well. He's not going to like hold on, is he, to the last minute? If it, I, Theo, he's, he's going to be like, oh, okay, you've won. He's going to roll over. Mm. Let him tickle his tummy. Mm. I think good shout. Good shout on that one. Mm. Um, anyway, any other contenders? I mean, look, I'm not backing Santi in many of these physical contests, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. No, I don't think so. That's not his thing, you know. No. He's just a disarmingly charming, smiley guy. But well, he could, a- chick, you know, kick some chewing gum through a keyhole. Or something. <laughs> he, yeah, I'd pick him for that. He's always doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he'd be low down the list in the arm wrestling. All right. Um, okay, here's one from David McNamara at mm. DVDMCN. And he says, thoughts on us always taking quick free kicks, especially since lately we've been so good at set pieces. So frustrating. And there was one yesterday. There was one yesterday. The I think Walcott. Oh my yeah. god! And we had like the chance to to get a good ball into the box, and it was taken quickly. And you know, argh. but with no Meza Erzul, can we get a good ball in the box? Well, I thought Ramsey put some really good balls in. True, actually, true. Giroud got that header on one. Mm. Didn't he? Um, 
Yeah, and we haven't seen that before, really. I haven't seen Ramsey over a set piece. Yeah. That felt new. That felt different. felt exciting. Um, but, uh, yes, that was an infuriating one, that Walcott one, because he tried to play quick one-two and sort of just ended up spinning in a little circle, didn't he? And the ball sort of was cleared. Uh, I haven't actually noticed that as a trend, though. Have I been... Have I been uh, Neglectful in that respect? Are we doing a lot of quick free kicks, do you I, think? I don't know that there have been a lot, but there were a couple yesterday and there have been a couple over the last few weeks where you thought, well, maybe that's just on the sort of area where we could... Right. Where swing we could, in. you know, swing it in, get it in there, you know, launch it. You know, you know how you know how we like to go direct. Oh, we love it. Yeah, get the big man up from yeah. the back. I, uh, I don't know. Would that be an instructional thing from the manager? Has he got a theory about defences being unprepared when a free kick's given, so he asked them to play it quickly? Is it the players just making the decision on the field? Whose call is that? You know, it's, it's a difficult one. Is it the player who's fouled? If he jumps up and takes it, so be it. Um, but yeah, I, we have improved from set pieces, as you say. Yeah. So we probably ought to look to take more advantage of that. I mean, Giroud's got is in a real groove of getting on the end of stuff uh, and Koscielny too so and with the good delivery that we had from Ozil and maybe Ramsey now too I, I think we'd be foolish not to try and maximise that opportunity there were some poor decisions made on that front yesterday but I hadn't specifically noticed it as a trend let's see uh Let's see if it continues. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, you right. know what? Like uh, quick free kicks. Uh, you know, I get them sometimes um, if you can really find an advantage. But it 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 bugs me uh, when we do it uh, when we could get men forward, particularly from from good positions. I find it I find it very frustrating. A bit like short corners. Yeah, like, oh, short, short corners. corners about to ask, how do you feel about those? Fucking mad. They drive they me are mad. Infuriating. Yeah. yeah how are. much difference can it make? I don't know. Uh, and we used to do them quite a lot, and we used to be pretty rubbish at them. Um, I think was that it? was pr- probably desperation, because for years our corners were so bad that yeah. it was just like, well, we'll try this and see if that makes any difference. And, of course, it generally fucking didn't. Um, but, yeah, just get the fucking ball in there. You've got a great chance to put the ball in the box and cause problems. But, you know, taking it short, I guess the thinking is that you can bring an extra man out, but then you've got an extra man out there yourself. So it sort of uh, balances out. So, yeah, I don't like it. I would, I would, if I were a manager, if I were a manager, I would, I would most certainly, if a player took a quick free kick or a short corner that didn't come to anything, I would, I would give them a rasher with a, with a ruler. You know that? What's a rasher? For, to me, a rasher means a, a bit of bacon. It is a What's bit of bacon, but basically this was what happened when you were in school, that if you were, if you had your back to somebody or if you were like talking to somebody else, they would get the ruler and go and skim it Ooh. down the back of your arse. And that was called a rasher. Oh, and that would sting. Yeah. So that's what I would do. That or a wedgie or something like that. A wedgie, yeah. I'm yeah. sure wedgies probably still use as disciplinary uh, tactic of course, in football yeah. clubs. Steve Bold, uh, Steve Bold gives a power wedgie. Yeah, yeah. That's why a lot of the players wear jock straps actually to avoid the mm. wedges. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Um, all right. I've got a question. All right. Well, it's actually not from me. It's from someone else. It's from, I mean, his name appears to be predominantly Roman numerals. I'm going to go for 8 slash 7 Vale. Right. V111, V I I I slash V I Vale. And he asks, and I think it's a big, important question why are referees always bald? But worry? 
I don't yep. know. Are Stress. they always bald? They are. I mean, picture a referee. If you said I said draw a referee, I'm drawing him bald. I think the 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 ratio of baldness among referees is significantly higher than in the general male populace. Okay, so let me let me just let me just do this here. Uh, list of Premier League referees 2016, oh, no. and I'm oh, going to no. see which. Now, Clattenburg, remember, Clattenburg, got- he was bald. Yeah, that he's bald to me. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah, he was bald. Okay, so we've got Martin Atkinson. He's not yeah. bald. Okay. Mark Clattenburg, yeah, definitely bald. Yeah. Bald. Okay. Keep your tallies at home, guys. Yeah. Roger East. I don't even know. I don't know here, but there should be a, a picture of him here. Bald as fuck. He's so a bald. Baldy, I mean, we're talking like cleaner super levels bald. of bald. Yeah. yeah, Duncan Goodhue, eat your heart out, bald. Yeah, this yeah, guy yeah, yeah, has yeah. got a like everywhere is bald. I'd say like yeah. everywhere, even yeah. yeah, Mike everywhere. Mike Jones. Okay, here he is, not bald, but quite a wrinkly forehead. He's got How, a ridiculously wrinkly forehead. It scores two two. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So you keep scores here. I'm just going through the ones that have done ten games or more. Okay. Uh, Robert Madeley. Robert Madley. Oh, thinning. Definitely thinning. Not bald, but certainly certainly going that bald? way. He's on the way. Uh, half each. I think that's oh, like a okay. half each. Okay. Right, 2.5, 2.5. Andre Mariner. Andre Mariner. No, he's definitely got hair. For now. For, For now, now, he's got hair. Okay. Uh, Lee Mason. Bald Ooh. as fuck. Right. Super bald. Right. Like, really, like a testicle. Just basically looks <laughs> like a testicle. Okay, That's good. That's Lee Mason. Now we've got Jonathan Moss, former drummer, or drummer with a Culture Club, of course. No, he's got hair. He has got hair. Sorry. Oh, yeah, fine, fine, All fine, right. fine. Michael Oliver. Young Michael Oliver. He's got his locks, hasn't he? He's got he's got his hair. It's sort of almost like a Peaky Blinders kind of haircut there because he's cool <laughs> and trendy and young. He was only born in 1985, so wow. he's still he's still got his hair. Yesterday's referee was a guy called Craig Pawson. Pawson. Yeah. Oh, he's got his hair, but you know what? You know what? He looks like he could easily keep people in his basement. You know, a bit like the guy from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. He just has yeah, that yeah. face. He has that face. That's another thing referees often have. Yeah. Um, okay, so two more. What's the current more. scores? Uh, I'll save it as to the end of okay. surprise. Let's just say we need some bald people quick. Oh, we've got Neil Swarbrick, who oh. he's balding. He's got a bit of the old Ray Reardon thing going on there. Let's have a look at him. Yeah. I mean, he's got the sort of vamp vampire peak hasn't he yeah he definitely has I mean I think he's got hair though that's hair that's definitely hair okay okay and the final one Anthony Taylor bald yes yes absolutely bald and also a dick okay so so what's going on now I will tell you I'll get you a percentage if you bear with me oh wow percentage yeah 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 so um what is it? I think it's... I'm not very good at this sum. Do you remember this from school? <laughs> when you have to work out what percentages of what? Just put it into Google. What percentage okay. of X is something? So according to this, so 
4.5 referees are bald. 7.5 are not. Right. Now, I think that 60% are, have hair and 40% don't. Okay. So if I do 7.5 times 0.4, uh, then I should get... I mean, basically, I'm not sure. Guys, I, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> I'm not a mathematician. Yeah, there's got to be some maths guys out there. Come on. I'm wrong. Help I know that my... Right, hang on. I'm, I know that I've done this percentage wrong. <laughs> okay, what I need is a percentage calculator. This is great radio. This is great radio. Yeah. Um, so what percentage of... Well, you've, okay, got to add up point, the, you've got to add up the two to get the total. What's 4.5 plus 7.5? 12. Fine. Fine, 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 fine. So 37.5% <laughs> of referees are bald. 37.5. Right. But, but what we need to know is what percentage of men are bald? Okay. Jesus. Does anyone... Okay, what, so, what percentage... Oh, I, actually, there's some weird ones. What percentage... 10%. Is that all? In the USA, the number cited here for hair loss is 40 million which is about 10%, oh, 10% of total US population. But if men are half the US population, baldness would be at 20%. Right. So 20% of men in America, I know it's not a fair test because that's America, are bald. But 37.5% of British referees are bald. This is startling. Absolutely just groundbreaking research. These here. are huge findings. What does this mean? Does this mean British people are more bald? Does it mean referees are more bald? Or does it mean that bald people are more likely to become referees because they're trying ah. to make up for their for their hair loss by by uh, assuming power over other people? Like they, they feel emasculated by the fact that they have no hair, but the fact that they can then go and like uh, speak to other grown men and discipline them uh, makes up for the fact that they're bald. That could be it. That's it, I think. Why are, and I've just googled. I'm on the, an article called "Why Are Bald People Always Villains?" <laughs> <laughs> but think about it. Uh, you know, I don't know the guy from Voldemort. He's bald. Oh yeah, and of course there was uh, Doctor Evil. He was bald. Gollum. He's definitely balding. Yeah, uh, Ming the Merciless. Bane from Batman. Is he bald or is he not wearing a big thing on his head so you can't hear what he's going... You can see he's bald. Whether it's by choice or not is unclear, but he's shaved his head. Anyway, I don't know. What's the question? Hang on. We've... How do we then reconcile Captain Picard? He's not Uh, evil. What's going on? I think he'll turn. I think they'll sort of do Star Trek the next, next generation and he'll become a baddie and they'll be like, we should have known all along. Mr. Burns. And he comes back. He comes back and he's in a referee's suit, Picard. <laughs> <laughs> like a specially adapted space referee's kit. I, is it because Kalina was such an outlier and such a brilliant referee that he gave bald people something to aspire to? Yeah, that could be it. I should point out, I'm rapidly balding. There's no prejudice here at all. I'm almost wondering if I should become a referee. Is that what I have to do? It could be, it could be that, that this is your actual calling. Maybe this is an epiphany. When right you start, now. when your hair starts falling out, that means you've got to take up the whistle. It's a calling. And the referee in God's, David Ellery, comes to you in a dream and says, <laughs> this is your destiny. And you're like, no, please, everyone will hate me. 
and I'll be incompetent and be like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Your hair's falling out. You have no choice. This is it. This is your life now. This is your life. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. Fascinating. I mean, who knew science, there's a scientific... By the way... What? Because I've been <laughs> clicking on this. Sorry, I've got more. Because I've been clicking on this now, I'm already getting served Google ads about hair transplants literally <laughs> right now. So that's good. Well, there you go. Wow. I mean, you know, don't rule it out. Um, well, it's good right. that we've, we've proved that point, whatever the uh, initial point was, which I can't Whatever remember. it was. We've, I mean, it was interesting for everyone involved. Yeah. So have we run out of time or...? <laughs> Uh, no, I think we. I think we've got. We've got time for. We've got time for more. Okay, good. Okay, uh, here is one from Steve Sinyard at Steve Sinyard. He says, "Where do you keep your sauces? The fridge or the cupboard?" I assume he means like ketchup. I actually think this is quite a controversial subject again. Oh I no, mean, I'm worried about getting into this. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm scared to say. What if it all goes wrong? I keep my ketchup in the cupboard. So do I. Oh, phew. <laughs> Thank goodness. Phew. At last, phew. some common ground. Oh, God. But you know what? I know. I know that there are people out there who don't. Yeah, they're gonna they're they're gonna come after us. Oh, they'll be coming for us, all right. Oh yeah, the 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 fridge mob will be after us straight after this podcast. Going, you people are disgusting. How could you keep your your sauces in the cupboard? They'll come with their pitchforks. Do, right? Do you want to go into it? Why or I I I just always have. I've never thought about it. Just cupboard seems like the right place for them, and I'm not necessarily. I don't like freezing cold ketchup. That's my big thing. Yeah. Cold ketchup with hot chips. What's that? Yeah. Have yeah. a bit of ice cream on the side, shall I? <laughs> no, I'm not having it. Yeah, no mustard, is there like a, HP sauce, the whole lot yes. in the cupboard. In the in cupboard. In the cupboard. But is there, is it like a health thing? Like why do people put, do they think it's going to preserve better? I don't know. Fridge? I haven't died yet. So, you know, there's no significant people, de- uh, problem. Somebody once told me, I think, that if you put it in the fridge, it stops it sort of congealing and clogging up the squeezy system. Right. But, but this then, this is in this. But what happened like uh, when we had when we had bottles? Remember when we had we had like the, the 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 glass bottles and you had to hold it upside down and go like. Oh, I remember, mate. I remember trying to get the Dark ketchup times. out, and then you had to put a knife into it, and you know, those were great times because they made you know they made dinner a bit of an adventure. Now it's all easy. You just like there you go. Okay, I found the answer. Don't worry. The Daily Mail had it. Of course they did. Oh, my goodness. Heinz tomato ketchup. The instructions say, after opening, refrigerate and eat within eight weeks. I like that idea that you've got to eat it within eight weeks. Um, oh, no, it's been 7.5 weeks. I'm just going to sit here and eat a bowl Someone of ketchup. Someone get me a spoon. Um, but Dr. Barrett, I mean, I could find out what his qualifications are, but I'm not sure. He's an initial, he's a microbiologist. He's right? a ke- ketchupologist. He says, no one kept tomato ketchup in the fridge a decade ago. So you're old school. Yeah. As am I. But then it contained more salt. In recent years, food manufacturers have had to cut the amount of salt and natural preservative because of its links to high blood pressure. Sodium benzoate, a preservative that used to feature in some brands of ketchup, has also been dropped by manufacturers because of its links to hyperactivity in children. The vinegar and tomatoes in ketchup give it a high level of acidity, which slows down bacterial growth. However, 
while ketchup could safely be kept in the cupboard for a couple of weeks, it's best kept in the fridge and eaten within the stated eight-week period. Right. Well, a bottle of ketchup doesn't tend to last eight weeks in our house. You know, I'm, really? not, a, I'm not a huge ketchup fan, but uh, Mrs. Bloggs likes ketchup with stuff. What the fuck? Sorry. I'm not talking about that. I'm reacting to the news, the staggering news that soy sauce should be kept in the fridge. My goodness. Again, that's that's, a game changer. Yeah, that's in the cupboard for me as well. Soy sauce. I mean, jam room temperature, it says. Mustard fridge, mayonnaise fridge. Mayonnaise I keep in the fridge, yeah. Tabasco fridge. What? Piss off, mate. This is Who is this fucking, clown? This is fucking bullshit. What, what, what do you keep in cupboards then if you can't keep your sauces in there? Clothes. Clothes, mate. I've got clothes in mine. <laughs> the clothes that you're not wearing right now. Yeah. Of course, never get them out. Keep them in there safe. Don't want a moth to get in. Shut the doors, lock them. Leave fucking it. Fucking hell. Well, I mean, this is a mind-blowing episode. It's like QI, this. Extraordinary, mm. what we're learning. Wow. Oh, God, do you remember football? Because I've forgotten all about it. Well, you know, I think that's reasonable, given, you know, the fact that we were, we were talking about Stoke and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's happy. It's, we're, good, we're good to go on tangents from time to time. It's nice. Get away from it. The potteries. Yeah. I'm so sick of it. Ketchup in the fridge. Just no, not going to do it. I, let me ask you a question. I Soy presume- sauce in the fridge. What's that? What is that? Listen, we're coming on to a much more important thing. Okay. Ketchup, Right. For me, like I'm, I'm not saying I'm a ketchup snob, but Heinz, Heinz, yeah. got to yeah, be Heinz yeah, yeah. ketchup for me. Yeah, I agree with you. However, oh God, I know. Prepare yourself for this. If lesser ketchup is presented to me in a squeezy bottle that's in the shape of a tomato, I I really like it. You like the shape of the tomato. I like the ketchup simply because it's come out of a squeezy tomato thing. You know those ones? Do you think something happens in your brain where you sort of think it's more tomato-y just because of that visual? Yeah, it must be. I don't know what it is. You could put, the like, the cheapest fucking ketchup in the world in there, and I'm like, oh, this is great because it's coming out of a squeezy tomato. Why have Heinz never released a squeezy tomato of their own? I don't know. That's a really good question. They couldn't make their ketchup, like, four better than it actually is already. I know, right? 58 varieties. Yeah. <laughs> including a squeezy one. I mean, I, I, I think that's a, they've missed a trick there. I know what I'm going to do next Christmas, fully a year away, get you a little squeezy tomato. Then you can transfer your Heinz ketchup into a little squeezy tomato. Can you imagine how delicious it would be? Ketchup gasms. Exactly. But wow. keep it in the fridge, mate. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> Have you got anything else or are we going to leave it there? I'm out, mate. I'm, I've forgotten about football. I can't talk about it. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Okay. I'm, my mind's been blown. By the whole ketchup, soy sauce, fridge. Oh. Let's not forget the bald thing as well. Bald, gosh. I think bald referees who keep ketchup in the fridge are going to be after us today. Uh, we want to keep a low profile on the old uh, social media there. They're always after me, that lot. I know, I know. Um, okay, I think we're going to leave it there for, uh, for this week's Arscast Extra. Thanks, as always, for listening. Very much appreciated. Mm. Um, Thank you. Thanks for the questions and all the reviews and stuff on iTunes. We like that as well. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks a million. Uh, feel free to do more. You know, we're 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 very open to that. Um, there was something else I was going to talk about, but I've completely forgotten it. So it'll probably have to wait until uh, the Arscast on Friday, and we'll be back. 
Ooh, after the Chelsea game next Sunday. Big one. Hey, it is a big one, isn't it? You know, at both ends of the table. Do we know yet who's going to be refereeing that, whether it's going to be a bold referee or not? I don't know. I think we know that there's like a 37.5% chance it's going to be a bald guy. <laughs> so that's all we can say at this point. Yeah, my, my guess is like uh, Anthony Taylor. I bet it'll okay. be Anthony Taylor. Uh, do we have do we have the uh, no? Uh, we don't yet have the the list of referees for for next week. Um, boom, boom, boom. No, I'm just looking at the Premier League. Dun, dun, dun. No, nothing, nothing. So we're on tenterhooks. Something to look forward to, guys. Yes, tenterhooks. They're the worst kind of hooks. Oh God, sick of it. I'm oh. standing on them. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't yet know, or do we? No. Oh, no, 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 I've just do looked. We? No, or do we? No, no. but no. do we though? No, we don't. Do we know? Do we know? No, 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 we don't know. All right, until the next one. All right, bye bye. Bye-bye.